This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to your latest podcast on the Blood Red channel. With it being the international break, we've decided to do something a little bit different and catch up with Chloe Beresford, a freelance Serie A writer and broadcaster who we've had on our pods in the past. I picked up the phone to Chloe for three reasons. The Champions League and Liverpool's latest showdown with Napoli, who have one or two problems to solve before the group opener at the Stadio San Paolo in 12 days' time, Bobby Duncan's controversial move to Fiorentina and whether he stands a better chance of getting first-team football in Florence, and the shock decision by by Juventus to leave former Liverpool midfielder Emre Chan out of their Champions League squad. Hopefully you'll find all that interesting, but we'll also touch on the Serie A title race, the manager Chloe believes could be perfect for Manchester United, and sadly, the latest example of racism to blight Italian football. Thanks for joining me, and the guys will be back on Friday with the Blood Red Podcast. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, hi, Chloe. Thank you very much for joining me and great to have you back on the podcast. Are you keeping well? Yeah, fine, thank you. Good to have you on. As I say, the last time we actually spoke uh, was before Liverpool's final Champions League group game against Napoli back in December. And I think before the match, you did a piece for the Echo, picking out three of the, the big danger men for Napoli. And one of those was the, the Poland striker, Milik. Uh, and how things may have turned out differently if it wasn't for Alisson actually saving from Milik late on in the game. Obviously, Liverpool went on to win the Champions League. It was a, it was a good game, wasn't it? It was a big moment. Yeah, it was. Um, and like you say, sometimes just a, a little twist of fate and and things could have been totally different but um i think the fact that liverpool have have drawn napoli again will um excite the neutrals because i think there were there were some really good matches between the two of them last year Definitely. Well, they actually won the, the first game at the San Paolo and the teams played there again a week on Tuesday to start Group 8. I think Napoli won that 1-0. Liverpool obviously won that match we were speaking about 1-0 back at Anfield and they actually played in the summer as well uh, for the second season running and Napoli run out, I think it was convincing 3-0 winners in, in Ireland. You know, I know we're only two games into Serie A, but we all know what a good side Napoli are. How, but how are they shaping up for this season? Have they had a good summer? Um, yeah, they've um, they've they've not had a bad summer. They've they've brought in um, Costas Manolas from uh, Roma, so him alongside Koulibaly in the defence really um, impressed people because they've you know they've got two quality defenders at the back there, uh, and they've also signed uh, Herving Lozano, who um, just just saw a little bit of him. Um, at the end of the last match versus Juventus and he did play really well uh, so I think that's a good attacking threat but actually Napoli are having one or two problems um, they've conceded seven goals in the first two matches and wow. um, the first one yeah the first one was a 4-3 uh, win over Fiorentina which was a thrilling match um, but Napoli were proven to um, have a, a very controversial penalty awarded um, the video footage shows Driesman and diving, and actually uh, the referee didn't check the VAR, so that was a bit of a controversial moment and a very narrow win for them. Uh, and then they um, they were three 0 down to Juventus in Turin, looked like game over, but they they again showed how how good their attack is and they brought it back to three three. And then the most unfortunate of own goals you'll ever see from Koulibaly. <laughs> Gave Juve the win in the end, so um, they've they've got some problems. Um, I think you know they they Ancelotti's gone with a four four two, and it's it's Fabian Ruiz and Dries Mertens sort of 
at the top and then the wingers Callahan and Insigne are pushing up so it's leaving Alan and Zielinski in the midfield kind of in this big gap um, and teams are just sort of running straight through to the centre-backs and then Manolas and Koulibaly are being sort of blamed for the defensive mistakes but actually it's because uh, players are able to sort of carve straight through the midfield and then put the centre-backs under real pressure so um, I think he's got a lot of thinking to do. Uh, maybe he'll use the international break to sort of sort things out. Yeah, because I, I imagine it sounds like that would be music to Liverpool's ears with the uh, the options that they've got Absolutely. that they've got that wide, Absolutely. and particularly fullbacks with Trent and, and Andy yeah. Robinson. Is 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 Napoli, are Napoli trying to change the style a little bit? Because we, for many years now, or for the last few years at least, have been Juve's closest challenges. Do they feel they have to try and do something differently to to win that Serie A title? I think. Um, I think. They were so precise under Maurizio Sarri when they came so close to winning the title uh, that when Ancelotti came, he had quite a hard job, really, because um, they'd been trained in those methods and it had been really ingrained in them. So Ancelotti had to sort of put his own stamp on it and he changed it from the 4 3 3 that they always played under Sarri to this sort of makeshift 4 4 2 idea. Um, and so far, it's it's not worked brilliantly. They weren't great last season and they thought, you know, with the with the players they brought in in the summer that it would really make a difference. But actually, you know, the, the, they've got these problems with the conceding goals. And I, to me, so many teams in Serie A and abroad that play 4-3-3, that I, I think he'd be best trying to, trying to match up because they've got... Man for man, they've got quality and, and they can, you know, they can really challenge their opponents. It's not like they need to try and beat them some other way with a change of formation. So I think if they, if they went 4-3-3 and matched the other teams, that they might get some greater success and there'd be a bit more strength in that midfield to stop teams just carving them open. Sounds like it could be an open game a week on Tuesday anyway if, if Gancelotti yeah. continues this way. You mentioned Sarri there, and obviously he's back in Italy. He kind of had, I think he had a bit of a raw deal in England with Chelsea. And, you know, actually won a trophy, got them into the third, actually, in the end. I think top four finish, it was third. Uh, but now he's taken yeah. over Juventus, kind of like done a bit of a swap. about that didn't go down with, well, with Napoli fans, given the rivalry that exists between the clubs. No, not at all. Um, and, you know, I I didn't expect him to go there at all. Um, there were so many rumours, and there were, you know, um, you know, it was talked about for ages before it actually went through. And then when it actually did happen, I couldn't believe it because he seems like the most unuve-like manager you <laughs> yeah. could imagine. Because they're so clean and corporate, and um, you know, they're they're going for success in Europe, and he's kind of. You know, with his smoking and he likes to wear the tracksuits and you know all that kind of stuff. He just didn't seem like a UV manager, but you know, I, 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 I've come, I've sort of got a bit more used to it, and I think that he could, he could really do a good job. But like with all Sari um, systems, it's going to take a little bit of time for it to firmly click. We'll come back to Sari and Juventus in a minute, if that's okay. But I don't think I'm giving anything away uh, when I say that Fiorentina are your team in Italy, as well as being an Italian football right and expert. And uh, they just happened to have signed one of Liverpool's best young players in Bobby Duncan. Uh, initially, at least, it came as a bit of a shock when Fiorentina were linked. Then, as probably most people are aware, who are, uh, most people who are listening to are aware, his agent had a bit of a 
bit of an outburst on, on Twitter and it, it, it always felt that he was going to leave the club sooner or later. But did anyone see this coming? You know, an 18-year-old, highly rated young striker, but one who's never played for the first team, actually going to a big club like Fiorentina in Serie A? No, not at all. When I heard about it and it said that Fiorentina were interested in this, Liverpool starter, you know, I sort of looked him up and saw that he'd been a reserve and, you know, actually I'd never heard of him before. So it, it was a real surprise to me because, you know, the 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 young players tend to sort of come from Italy rather than mm-hmm. from elsewhere. But I, I think we're probably seeing more and more of this because the big teams in England, they've got young players and they um, they've not got a great deal of opportunity of breaking it through into the first team. So, you know, I suppose other European clubs will be mad not to to snap them up if if they want the playing time. Yeah, it's definitely true. It's been a trend in Germany, hasn't it? You can see Luckman's gone there. Sancho is obviously the big one. There's quite a, a number of young English players who've gone to to Germany. Do you think the the openings are there in Italy? Then you know, if if Bobby Duncan proves to be a success, do you think they may start looking to England then and and taking off some of the top talent? Because it's pretty clear there's a lot over here. Yeah, I think so. I think if if um, if it works out, it could definitely become a trend. I mean, there's a lot of Premier League players, not necessarily young ones, but um, you know, with with the likes of uh, Alexis Sanchez and Romelu Lukaku going uh, across to Inter, and Chris Smalling signing for Roma, yeah. it's, it's almost as if um, you know they're, they're on quite big wages in England, and um, when when the clubs like United that want to get rid of these players, they they can't they can't sort of afford because they're on such big wages they, they have to sort of loan them out to elsewhere and and you know why why wouldn't they get snapped up by abroad if if other teams in england can't really afford or they don't want to sell to english teams just back to bobby duncan and fiorentina they've made some big signings in the summer frank river he's probably the most high profile one of those and you're completely right bobby duncan scored a lot of goals for the under 18s last season he's very much on the in the thoughts of liverpool fans not least because he's Stephen Gerrard's cousin, but probably outside of Liverpool, he's he's, he's not the biggest name. With Fiorentina, what's the reaction being like online and, and, and in the Italian press and the Italian media? Have they kind of welcomed him with open arms or what did he kind of expect from him? Um, I, I wouldn't say there's been a massive noise about it. Um, obviously, anybody English is, is quite interesting to the Italian press. Um, but I think... With Fiorentina, they've just got new owners. Um, they've they've been bought out after a lot of years of uh, fans being fed up with a previous regime. They've been bought by uh, an American businessman who wants to invest in the team, and that's obviously music to the ears of fans. But um, their manager Vincenzo Montella, he um, he's very good with young players. He likes to work with young players. Uh, he brought through um, Federico Bernardeschi into Fiorentina's first team the last time he was manager because this is his second stint at the club and he's obviously gone on to play for Juve and and um he's a really great player so he's he's a big fan of bringing the youth forward and Fiorentina don't have a lot of options at centre forward they've just bought um in someone called Pedro um from uh, Brazil and they've got Kevin Prince Boateng but they've sort of playing him as a striker even though he's not an out and out striker so they, they've got some options there and I think at some point in the season there probably will be a chance for Duncan to come in 
and, and try and make a bit of a name for himself. So I can't see that they've signed him um, without sort of promising him at least a little bit of first team action because there must have been some reason why he wanted to go across, but in my opinion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's a, it's a really interesting one. He's probably not flavour of the month with Liverpool fans at the moment, Bobby Duncan, which is a big shame because he's a Liverpool fan given the uh, given the way his agent acted on, on social media. But yeah. playing devil's advocate, he would struggle to get past Salah, Mane, Firmino, and even Origi now who's obviously become such a big hero after what he did last season. And, and not to mention Rian yeah. Brewster as well, another really good young player. So it sounds like his prospects actually, in a way, you, you take the emotion out of it, will be a little bit better at Fiorentina. There is actually a, more of a clearer path halfway yeah I think so definitely um like I say with with Montella being being so good with bringing youngsters into the side I think I think there'll definitely be some opportunities and if he takes them then you know who who knows he might be, end up becoming fairly regular who knows who knows but you don't think he'll be playing versus uh, Juventus the first weekend back after the international I wouldn't break have of, I wouldn't have thought so no <laughs> would that be would be a baptism of fire just a bit <laughs> how are Fiorentina doing generally you know they'll always be an iconic club for, for English football supporters like myself who got into Serie A in the 90s obviously with Channel 4 and everything else that came with it and obviously big names Batistuta, Rui Costa I remember always watching them and I've followed them since it seems a really passionate club it's a really big club he's gone to Bobby Duncan there yeah, I mean the passion of the fans is is unbelievable. I mean, um, a lot of that at the end of last season was directed towards the owners because um, after 17 years at the club, they'd kind of stopped investing. They wanted it to to sort of self finance almost, which was is, you know no fan wants to hear something like that with cost cutting measures and stuff like that. So you know now they've got these American owners, all that vitriol is now. Um, been directed and getting behind the team and, and the atmosphere in the first home match against Napoli was just um, incredible um, you know I, I didn't get out there personally but even just watching clips on the internet and on TV was just fantastic so personally I can't wait to get back there <laughs> um, and it's it's definitely a stadium where if you love Italian football uh, and you'd love to see the passion. It's definitely somewhere um, where you'd want to go. And Florence, obviously, is a beautiful yeah. city anyway. So, The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It'd be good to see them right up there again, but it is it is Juventus who are the dominant force. I think it's eight years on the run they've they've won the Serie A title. Uh, can you see anyone different winning it this year? I know it's very early days, we're only a couple of games in, but again, are they going to be the team to beat? Yes, um, obviously, like you say, they've won for eight seasons in a row. Um, the only thing I'd say is that um, after five years of Max Allegri, um, they've now obviously changed to Maurizio Sarri. And I think other sides in Serie A have seen this as their chance now um, because they were so dominant before that with that slight change, it's almost like you have just blinked and just allowed a little bit of light in. Um, and I think, you know, Inter have, have massively strengthened in the transfer window. They've made some really smart signings. They've got rid of players who were causing trouble at the club, which was Rajan Angolan and Mauro Icardi. And they've brought in Antonio Conte. Um, and I just think with his uh, no-nonsense approach, hard work, you know, um, he demands at the absolute maximum from his players that he um, will get the very best out of his side. And I, I do think they'll push Juve all the way this year. And I think we will actually have an exciting title race. 
That's good to hear. Juventus has obviously been very active in the market themselves. Is their ultimate aim the Champions League? The kind of signings they're making, the big names, it, it feels like that's what they want more than anything else now. Yeah, I mean, for anyone who watched the documentary on Netflix that they did, um, they actually sort of came out and said that their aim is the Champions League. And, you know, who can blame them, really? If they've won the league eight years in a row, I'm not saying it gets boring, but you've got to you've got to look to the the next level and and um to to push on even further and and they've 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 directed to everything i mean breaking the bank to bring in cristiano ronaldo when he's only got a couple of years left they they sort of made a switch in their strategy from always looking to the long term to going for short term goals um and, you know, it's a risk bringing in Sari as a manager because he is relatively inexperienced in the top flight. Um, but I suppose that, you know, he did win the Europa League last year. So they've thought, well, let's give him a, track, a, a crack at winning the Champions League. So... And he is the man. He's the man, obviously, to try and lead them to that Champions League. And, and speaking of the Champions League, uh, certainly a link Liverpool fans will be interested in. Most teams, well, all the teams have had to name the squads this week and Juventus has named theirs. And he actually left out Emre Chan, which uh, left him very angry, I think, to, to quote his words. Is, did that come as a bit of a surprise? Or is he really surplus to requirements at Juventus? Um, yeah, it was a surprise, to be honest. Um, they, they brought him in to replace Sami Kadira in the midfield. And Kadira obviously, has won the World Cup with Germany, has been a, a real quality player, but he's... He's ageing and he's he's pretty slow and, you know, he's not really all that popular with Juve fans. Um, so Chan was his replacement. Um, and it seems like Sari's come in and somehow he's decided to prefer Sami Kadira to Chan, which is, to me, pretty bizarre. <laughs> Sari, has his, Sari has his unusual ways, but, you know, I, I just think... He seems somehow to have resurrected Kadira. Kadira started in their first two league games, um, but he he's going to get found out in the Champions League. He's, he's like I say, he's slow, and a lot of the big European teams pay with a lot of pace. And uh, for me, Chan would be the better option. But they, you know, they've got a lot of midfielders. They've got Matuidi. They've got in Rabiot, uh, Aaron Ramsey, and and they've also got a good young uh, Uruguayan in in Bentancur. So. There's a lot of choice there, and but I can totally understand why he's fed up. Yeah, because I, I know everyone that think the grass isn't greener. And let's face it, he let his Liverpool contract run down and then he had to watch his old teammates win the Champions League without him the following season. But it, it yeah. didn't seem that much of a nightmare his first season. It's more what's happened this summer, you're saying, with Sarri, and he just doesn't seem to fancy him. Yeah, yeah, because he, you know, um, I mean, he had a, a few problems with uh, Ill, uh, illness. He had like a part of his thyroid removed, I think, a part of last season and a, a few injuries. But in general, you know, Allegri, Allegri did did play him and he was a valued member of the side. But I think this exclusion from the Champions League squad has really seemed like a kick in the face to him. And he, he has made a sort of a reluctant backtrack and apology on Twitter, but you can tell that from the wording that he doesn't exactly mean it. He's sort of just had to say it. Yeah, the club have made um, him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Somebody at the club sort of him to do it it looks like anyway so yeah I mean who knows what goes on behind the scenes but I, I think he he certainly deserves to be part of that squad 
you've mentioned uh, Sari's predecessor Allegri and uh, he, he's such, he did a, a brilliant job at Juventus to me he screams out as a potential Premier League manager and waiting it's, it's, it's obviously not going to be at Liverpool given the success Jurgen Klopp had and it doesn't like Guardiola's going anytime soon but if a big vacancy come up do you think he'd be the, the kind of person who'd actually be interested to come over and test himself in the Premier League? Yeah, for me, definitely. I mean, he's, he's said before that he'd be interested in uh, having a go at the Premier League. And, you know, he's an intelligent guy. He's he's already learnt some English. Um, and the job that he did with Juve was fantastic. He, he like I say, won the, he won the league five out of five times. He In that spell, he also won four Coppa Italia trophies and he got to the Champions League final twice. Um, never won it, but... You know, I think that was a remarkable achievement and he, he did sort of seem to run out of ideas and tail off in his last season at Juve, which is why they've made a change. But um, bringing him into the Premier League, I mean, the immediate one that springs to mind is, is United because um, if, if Solskjaer continues to falter, he's exactly the right guy who could sort of steady the ship and get them back sort of in a, a more consistent mode rather than sort of all over the place. And, you know, that that's that's exactly what he was like at Juve, very steady and reliable. And, uh, you know, any club really in the Premier League would be, would be lucky to get him. I have to ask you about this, given it happened uh, over the weekend. You know, it wasn't good news coming out of Cagliari. I know you spoke about it yourself on Twitter uh, when it was clear members of the crowd were racially abusing Romelu Lukaku, who, as we mentioned a moment ago, has left Manchester United to sign for Inter. Unfortunately, this is not the first time it's happened uh, in Italian football, and it's not actually the first time it's happened at, at that very, very ground in, in question. No, it's not. Um, I mean, it happened to Moise Keane. It happened to Solomon Tari. It also happened to Blaise Matuidi, and that was that was all at Cagliari. Um, and you know, every single time, nothing is done about it from the clubs, the league. It's just sort of left until the fraud dies down, and then then they quietly say, "Oh, we've decided not to punish them," or you know, some token punishment. And you know, it's it's not enough now for Italy to say, "Well, that's just the way it is in Italy," because. It's not acceptable um, in in any way. Um, those of us who who love watching Italian football and love all its colour and excitement and all its good points are just seeing it spoiled by some individuals who are so behind the times. It's untrue, um, and you know it's it's a shame because players, the very best players like Lukaku, are going to eventually be put off from coming to Italy because they fear that they, they're going to be racially abused and that's just a, a terrible turn of events so you know they they need to they need something major needs to happen international pressure or something put on Syria um, itself to really punish these individuals the technology is there to find them and ban them um, and you know I, I just I don't understand why it's why that's not happened? Yeah, I totally agree. From a league's point of view, it's 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 uh, it's absolutely making the products a lot worse because there, there was a certain perception about Italian football after those kind of glory heydays in in the mid nineties and then early two thousands. That it, it is an exciting league again. I know Juventus obviously the standout team, but it, it's an exciting product. There's some good younger players coming through, which is obviously a, a problem in Italy previously. It just seems like it's basically making it hard for themselves by not actually you know rising to the challenge and say, come on, we've got to stamp this out. 
Yeah, I mean, it's crazy the way that they don't market the league. I mean, the, the way that they release the fixtures so, so late, later than any other European league, it means that people who want to travel from abroad to watch the matches, or they can't make travel plans and they're, they're just so backwards in their thinking. And, uh, you know, if they if they got somebody on board that was, that was more forward thinking and more modern in their approach, they, they could really make Serie A something very, very special again. And they're just, they're just so stuck in the ways and determined that any problem just gets swept under the carpet rather than actually dealing with it. And, you know, I have to say that's, um, you know, a problem in Italian society as a whole, right from the top of politics down through everything that they've got this, way of just trying to uh, pretend things aren't happening and hope it'll go away rather than dealing with it and you know and I have a lot of Italian friends and none of those people are racist but um, so you can't tell everybody with the same brush but a, a minority of people are giving everybody a bad name and why the authorities would allow that to spoil what's going on I just don't know. Well said. Chloe, it's been great having you on the podcast again and no doubt we'll speak in the, in the coming weeks when Liverpool play Napoli in the Champions League. That'd be great to have you back on. Yeah, love to. Thank you. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.